I just love how, how plainly Jesus explains the truth in the four verses that we're going to read today. And then, and then hearing that song kind of sung, and then letting those words just kind of wash over me, I find myself resting in the fact that even if I've had a chaotic week, or even if I've had just a chaotic sermon prep, that in the end, I'm not trying to make you think that I'm able to deliver a good sermon, or I'm not trying to make you think, oh man, he's so smart. Because as we're going to read, everything that we do, we do to point people to the glory of God. We do, we do to get the focus off of ourselves and we do to say, look at Jesus. Jesus is the one. Jesus is, is the one who is perfectly able to make sense of all the chaos that's in our lives. So I'm going to pray before we get started. And I hope that you would pray for me and pray for our church that that Christ would just deliver a perfect and simple message that would, would move us beyond just sitting still in our seats and having truth read over us, but that we would be moved to action. We would be moved to, to do something more than just hear words spoken over us. So let's go ahead and pray. God, thank You for clarity. Thank You for revealing Your truth to us so that we can understand who You are and what our purpose for being is. God, I pray that for the next little bit while we're talking through these verses that We wouldn't, we wouldn't get distracted trying to figure out all the minute little details of what each little metaphor could mean and all the different options, but that we would see that we've been tasked with a very specific calling, being your people. And I pray that you would move us to action. You would move us to do something with that calling so that we could bring glory to You. Not glory to CRC, not glory to this group of people for the things that we've done, but that the actions that we take as a response from this sermon would point people to You in a way that we haven't pointed people to You yet. That You could receive even more glory. That You could be made much of. That people could could look to You and say, oh, that's the goal. You are the goal. God, Make much of yourself this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are still in Matthew chapter 5. I'll give you a couple seconds to keep turning there. And I'm going to open up notes, but like I said, this is a really weird sermon prep for me. I just never kind of locked in on exactly... Daniel was asking me right before we got started, he said, so where are we going to land? I said, I think we're going to land somewhere like this. But if, but if the Holy Spirit calls an audible... We'll be ready for that too. Um, So, one of the things that I am passionate about, and if you've ever seen me watch an ETSU basketball game, you would know, is like production and an efficient use of 
the time that you've been given or the effects and the things that you are being tasked with. Like, like one of the things that I love about going to, say, a basketball game where I'm really passionate and the people are really good at, at, at keying in on passionate fans is like, so, so your team's gone on this, this 10 to 2 run and you've just ended this 10 to 2 run with this huge alley oop to take the lead. You've been down the whole game. The crowd goes wild. The other team, trying to stop your momentum, calls a timeout. Right? In my mind, I'm thinking, what's the loudest rock song you have in that sound system? Because the moment that whistle blows and they say timeout, hit that. Right? We're all excited. Let's keep that going through this timeout so that his timeout that this coach just called doesn't, doesn't stop our momentum, right? Doesn't stop our emotional connection to how exciting the game is, right? Those are the sorts of things that I like. Those are the sorts of things that when not done right, I will make sure to tell you if you're sitting next to me at a basketball game. My wife knows this all too well. But I've always been really passionate about, like, production, I think that's probably because I was raised with parents that did production my whole life, whether it was just like, like plays and setting up stages and stuff for like vacation Bible schools or haunted houses. Things that, you know, my parents were really gifted at doing. Like, let's put the lights here. Let's, let's put this thing here. I re- the best one ever, we were doing a vacation Bible school. This was back at Heritage. And we had a building. And we're like, we need to blow up this building on stage in a church and we somehow we blew up a building like a whole wall blew out and rubble went all over the place and it was and the fire department did not come it was awesome that time there was that other time but I've been passionate about those sorts of things Uh, setting up scenes on a stage or Honestly, and I'm thinking more along the lines of like setting lights on stage. Like, the week we added these up here, honestly, like you're, you're laughing at me. But this was one of the, my favorite additions that we've ever, other than bathrooms and maybe heat. But heat is close to these. Like, I love these. I love the idea of putting interesting light on the stage up here. I love, like, if I, had, if I had an unlimited budget, I would do so many things that I am passionate about with light during worship in here. And you may be sitting there thinking, so are you saying that you just want to put on a really fancy rock show? Are you saying that you just want to make this flashier with more, you know, you're trying to just make it all this stuff that this building doesn't seem to reflect a desire to be that way. Like, like that's not who we are. We're, we're simple and basic, and we just, we just need this one light, and we'll be fine. And that's true. We would be fine with just those things. But one of the things that I kept coming back to when I was reading the verses that we're going to be in today is that, that light is really important. Light is, is, is the first thing that God created. The first words that we have recorded from God. Let there be light. He uses light to reveal who He is. He, re- he uses light to reveal 
things that are true about the world that maybe we wouldn't see had he not revealed them to us. He uses light to communicate to us, to connect with us, to to show us different emotions that he wants us to feel using certain things based on how much light is present. I mean, think about it. If you were going to go to a play and they hit the stage with different colors of light, they're going to tap into different emotions that they are trying to communicate to you. What, what kind of emotion do you think of if I said, like, we're going to fill this whole stage with red light? What kind of emotion do you think of? Anger. What about blue? Yeah, sad. Yeah. Light is used to connect. Like, like we connect to the idea of light. We are, we are constantly going to be drawn to a light. Like if it is dark and you see a light, you're going to focus in on that. And, and Jesus is going to use a metaphor of light today. And, and I want us to connect to the importance of why he's saying, why he's talking about light the way he is. So go ahead and turn Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read verses 13 through 16. He's going to use a couple of different metaphors here. I'm just going to read the whole thing, and then we'll start talking. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven." So let's just go ahead and kind of reconnect to the context of what we're doing here. We've been in Matthew for a couple of months. We started in January, right? So about three months now we've been in this book. And a few weeks ago, Jesus started this sermon that's going to, we're going to be in for a while. We're going to be here for a couple of months, I think. Um, But Jesus is just led into a sermon. and, And the first thing that he led into, the first real teaching that we have recorded from Christ is he's basically saying, this is what it looks like to be a person who is a follower of me. Right? We had all of these, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the meek. All of these things are characteristics of people who follow Christ. Right? We, we've separated the two groups who are here listening to Jesus. You have, you have the crowds, which are just people who are here kind of for the spectacle of the whole thing. And you have the disciples who have come close to know better who Jesus is and what it is that he would have for them to do with their lives. So you have these two groups, these people who are kind of on the outside looking in, and then these people who have already connected to Christ. And he's described what those people are going to look like. Well, as we move into verse 13 and on, he's going to start describing in here, in this section, very specifically, what a person who is a follower of Christ does. Like, like this this is much more action-oriented than just descriptive. And I want us to connect to the idea that he's not just saying... You are salt, you are light. He's saying, you are salt and you are light. And he's hoping that you're going to connect to, and these things have a very specific purpose. And I have a very specific purpose for what my disciples will do, for the things that they, the actions that they will take, for the lives that they will live. I have a very specific idea of what it is that they should do. It's not just that you, 
you are meek and you are peaceful and you sit there and you wait for Christ to come back and then you get to go and be with him. He's saying, you are salt, you are light. So let's look and see a little bit closer what salt and light are here to represent. And here's the thing. I could give you, like, in all the commentaries I read, like they had six or seven different options for what he could be referring to when he's talking about salt and all the different uses. And we could get into all of these finer details of here are all the potential cultural aspects that could be at play in Jesus using salt as the metaphor for the followers of Christ. But the more I read them, the more I was like, this is just kind of muddying the waters to me. So I'm going to give you a couple of specific things about salt that Jesus is possibly referencing. And I think I'm going to stop at just two. Um, The first thing is that salt is a seasoning. We all know this because we all use salt, some of us, me in particular, way more than we should. And then we get to take blood pressure medication to counteract our addiction to salt. Uh, I've talked about popcorn up here before. I very heavily considered just popping myself a bowl of popcorn and having it sitting here and eating popcorn the whole time just as some sort of example. Really, it would have just been selfish because I like popcorn and my wife would have left the church if I had to sit here and eat popcorn through this whole thing because she's tired of me eating popcorn. But when we think of salt, when you think of salt, you think of it as a seasoning, right? You think of it as... I add salt to something to make it taste better. And, and I don't think that that is lost on the people that Jesus is talking to. The idea that you have been placed on the earth. It, it, I haven't saved you just to, to, to keep you, you know, in your house to keep you safe until the time that you come home with me. I've put you on the earth for the purpose of casting this gospel seasoning, if you will, on the earth. Like, like you are here to make the wor- to, to benefit the world. You are here for the good of the world that you are living in. We aren't just here to say, thanks for that whole salvation thing, and now I live my life for me the rest of the time that I'm here. He's saying, you are here for the benefit of the world. That was always God's purpose in saving Israel and making them a specific nation. They lost sight of that. We read through the whole Old Testament uh, earlier uh, at the end of last year, and we kept seeing that, that God's intent was, I'm going to save you, I'm going to put you in this place for the benefit of the surrounding nations. You're not just here for you, you're here for the people that are around you. And that continues to be God's focus for His people. I've saved you, but not just so you can get inside a building and lock the doors and try to protect yourself from the evil that's outside the walls. I've saved you for the benefit of the people around you, the people outside of your building, the people outside of your home, the people outside of your friends and family and the people that you're comfortable being around. So when he says that you are salt, he's saying that that you have a specific reason for being. You have a specific set of actions that I have in mind for you to continue taking. The Christian life doesn't stop at salvation, doesn't end there. That's the beginning. And now you're supposed to go forward and you're supposed to spread the gospel message with you wherever you go. So the first thing that I think of when I think of salt is I think of it as a seasoning. The other thing, and this is not one that I really thought about too specifically until I was studying this week, is that that salt represents stability for a couple of reasons. One, 
Yes, they used it as a preservative. We didn't have refrigeration back then. So yeah, you would, you would, you would heavily salt, say, meat, and it would keep it from spoil. It would keep it stable for a longer period of time. But, but even going beyond that, the very nature of salt is stable. Like, the, one of the commentaries I read got into the molecular compound. It's like, sodium chloride is a stable molecule. It doesn't, like, unless you do something to it, it's not going to just change on its own. It's going to stay what it is. Which is interesting when he says that you are salt, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? Salt doesn't stop being salty. Like, at its very core, it is salty. And it's going to continue to be salty. So, is that, is that an oversight on Jesus' part? Has his metaphor fallen apart? Have we found the hole in his argument? And we can say, but that's not going to happen. Or is he saying this very intentionally? I think he has a purpose for saying it. Here's the interesting thing. If you are salt, you don't stop being salt. You can't say, I've been salt long enough. I think I'm going to step back from being salt for a while. I'm just going to be some other compound. I'm going, to, I'm going to have some other purpose. Salt stays the same. It is steady. It is stable. And I think that that is true of the disciples that Jesus is talking to and the church as we're studying it today. Like, like you are salt. Salt cannot stop being salty. You cannot stop being a disciple. So what is salt that is not salty? It's a worthless rock in this metaphor. I'm not saying people who aren't saved are worthless by any means. But, but he's saying that, that if you aren't salty, then you've just revealed yourself to be one of the crowd. One of the people who are not in this inner circle who are seeking the will of God. You are revealing yourself to be unsaved. So if you are in Christ, he's saying, you are salt and you have a specific purpose for the world. He is not saying that if you are saved, you can stop being saved. He's saying you are in. You are salt. You are going to remain salt. But those things that are found to not be salty, they're just revealing themselves for the, the truth of who they really are. And really, they are just like the crowds who are out there. They're just every other rock that you would walk along the path is what he's saying. I'm going to come back to one thought that I just had in just a minute. Let's go ahead and move on. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. Okay. So a couple of things. We've already kind of talked a little bit about this earlier, but light, light reveals what was hidden by the darkness, right? So, so say, say, say your house is dirty. It's easier just to turn off the lights and pretend that that's not the case, right? But once you turn on the lights and you see the tornado that your four-year-old has cast through the whole living room. 
which was epic this week. It was awesome. She was, she was playing with, I think every single toy that she's ever owned has been out this week. But, but, but when you see that, the light cast on that, revealing to you the mess that there is, you're like, something needs to be done about this. I cannot, I cannot hide from the fact that there is this destruction of the order in my house. Right? I have, to, I have to do something. I have to get this all back together. So light reveals the truth about what the darkness had been hiding. And he sets up this kind of impossible idea again. This idea that, like, where he's setting up that, that salt, losing its saltiness. That's not going to happen. That's an impossibility. He's saying, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. Like, like you can't hide that. You can't, nor, nor would you light a lamp and, and put it under a basket. You're not going to have light for the purpose of, of tucking it away. Like, like, if there is light, the light is revealing something. The light does not stop casting itself on something. Even, even if you put a basket over a lamp, like, right, think about it. Does that stop the light from shining? No. I mean, it might not shine as fully or as brightly throughout the room as it could, but instead, it's still, it's still shining on something. It's still revealing something because light in its very nature does not stop being light. There's still... I'm not going to get into science. Photons, things, right? And so he's setting up this, this kind of impossible-sounding situation. He was like, if there is a city on a hill, and you've got to think, these people are going to start thinking of Jerusalem, which is a city set on top of a hill. A city that, that when you approach, you can't help but see. It's right there. If, if, you're, if, you were coming, if you were walking through the desert at night and there's a city with lights on, on top of a hill, you're not going to miss it. And he's saying two things. He's saying, you are the light of the world. That's interesting. Because other places in Scripture we see the gospel as being described as light. Like this message that we have is light. The message that Christ brought is revealing the truth to the world of who we actually are. The sin that's in our lives. The things that we can't, we can't fix on our own. Our need for Christ. Right? But at the same time, he's saying, you are light. Like, the gospel in you now has become light. You are, you are now casting light wherever you go. And it's not that he says you should be light. Like, notice that. He's not saying, you need to shine a little brighter. He's saying, if you are one of my disciples, if you are in Christ, you are light. You are communicating something about Christ no matter what. I would think, practically speaking, that instead of... Like, like I, could, I, could, I could have made this a sermon where I'm like, so y'all are supposed to be salt, y'all are supposed to be light, go do that. Like, like, start being salt, start being light. Do those things. But based on what he's saying here, I don't think that's the sermon that I can deliver because he's saying you already are those things. So either you're doing a good job at it or you're not. That's more the mindset that we need to have. You are revealing something about who God is. You are revealing something about His worth to you based on how you live if you are in Christ. So either you're communicating really clearly how valuable He is to you and how good He is and how powerful He is, or you are failing to communicate 
that truth as powerfully as you could. You are still shining light, but if it's under a basket, it's not getting out as, as, as powerfully as it could. So either, either you're shining light well or you're shining light poorly. And I want you to think more about it in that context. Like, like I, am, I am representing Christ, but what about Him are you representing? How effectively are you revealing Him to be important and powerful? And I think that's, that's the key thing to realize is that that in communicating these things, we're not trying, I'm not trying to say, I want you to live lives filled with good works, which he says, see your good works. I'm not trying to say, I want you to live lives filled with these good works so that people come to you and say, man, you're a really good person. You are really doing a good job. Because if what you are communicating is, look at the good works that I am doing, then you are not communicating the same thing that Christ is calling you to in these verses. They should see the things that you do and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That word Father, this is the first time, this is the first point in the Gospel where Christ refers to God as our Father. And that's significant because we've just, we've just come out of a section where He's saying the reward for being in Christ, the reward for being one of His followers, one of His disciples, is that you get the kingdom of heaven. Right? He's saying, you get to reap all the benefits of being heirs to the throne. And for the first time, He's giving some more specific context to what that means. He's saying, it's not just that, that those people who follow Me are going to be welcomed into heaven. He's starting to add some context. He's saying, those people who follow Me are going to be treated as sons of God. He will be to them a father. You are, you, he's saying, you are in my family. And I don't think we, I know I don't, fully connect to that idea in the way that I should. Like, like the idea of, I've been welcomed into the family of God. I'm a son of God. It's like, yeah, I hear, I hear Charlie Hall say that in like half of his songs, right? He calls us sons and daughters in like half of the songs that he writes. And it's like, yeah, son, son of God. We're sons of God. We're daughters of God. But it doesn't resonate with me the way that I think it should. I mean, think about your family, Right? Think about your family. Think about how close you feel to those people. You are connected by blood to those people. You are so closely tied. Like, like people, people see you and they see your parents. Not just in the way you act, sometimes in the way you look, sometimes in the things that you say, the way that you say things. And he's saying, you've been grafted into my family. And the way you live your life reveals who your father is. The way we live our life reflects who God is. I'll say it again. The way we live our life reflects who God is. 
So what do people see about Jesus? What do people see about the Father when they see you living your life? I think these are perfect metaphors for where we're wanting to place our focus here at CRC this year, right? We've said, we've, we've done a lot of work focusing on building up leaders from within the church and really, really having an internal focus, and that this year we really want to turn our focus back outside of the walls of our church. We really want to go out and love people and show people who Christ is. And that's exactly the kind of thing that we're being called to in these verses. He's saying, you need to be shining light. You need to be acting as salt for the world. You need to be living out the, the passions that God has given you in such a way that they, they call people to look to Christ and say, that's what's important. Which kind of brings me back to my whole, I really get excited about like production design and light and setting up lights and like, like if I, if I could, we would have, I, I love backlighting. I don't know what it is about backlighting, but backlighting is fantastic, especially in a worship context. But like, to me, like, worship is more than just singing words or praying or, or, or just reading a Bible. Like, like when I play guitar on weeks when we're playing the music, the, what, the, the chords that I'm playing on the guitar or, or, the, or the lead part that I have picked out, especially for this one song, is part of how I worship God, is part of how I give glory to God. If I was to be setting lights up here, it wouldn't just be because I'm trying to say, I want to make an example of how awesome this, this song can look, and I want to make it, it... It's part of the way that I would worship. Like, the way that I am expressing glory to God through the things that He has made me passionate about. Some of you are not passionate about playing guitar. Some of you are not passionate about, about standing up here and preaching. Some of you are not passionate about setting up lights on stage. But God has made you passionate about some things. Maybe it's art. Maybe it's, it's athletics. Maybe it's the job that you have or the career that you're planning to go into. He's given you a passion And if we think about both of these metaphors, like, like salt seasoning the things around you, or light shining on the world around you, he's saying, use those passions that I have given you in such a way as, as you, as you cast your vision for how you would use those passions out, people see the things that you are doing, people see the value that you place on God, and they look to him and say, oh, you're doing these things not for yourself, not for your own acclaim, not for making much of yourself, but you're doing all these things as a means of making much of him. And they see the value that you are placing on him, and they see, they see that you're trying to, to use the light metaphor more, to, trying to illuminate how important and how magnificent and powerful and perfect he is. And that when they see those things, they would, they would say, I'm going to chase after that. I want that. I see that. Because, because we are fulfilling this purpose that, that God has for us. Like, if you just stopped, if you just stopped earlier, like verse 12 at the end of those Beatitudes, there are, there are several things that can just be read very passively. Like, just be this kind of person. Just be this kind of person. And then all the rest comes. 
but it's so much more than just who we are. Because who we are is going to inform what we do, how we are, how we act, the, thing, the, the steps that we take moving forward. And so my hope is that, that as we continue, hopefully, as a church, to focus on turning our eyes outside of this building and not just, not just hoping that the good things that we do you know, please the elders or please, please our community group leader or, or please our family. But that our, our sole purpose would be to live a life that drives people to give glory to our Father who's in heaven. Let's pray.